that's the thing is like if Tony quit tomorrow, like whoever they hire is going to be worse. Oh yeah. <laughs> like I mean, there's like no way you're getting somebody better. Like <laughs> it's not possible. I love the, I love uh, for a second there. I was like, wait, which Tony are we talking about? To the CapsCorner.com podcast, CapsCorner.com, your source for Virginia sports. I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CapsCorner.com, coming to you live from the place where Franklin States in the West End of Richmond, where it is Wednesday, February the 2nd, 2022, 222, all kinds of twos, and the class of 2022 is now officially done, signed, sealed, and delivered, unless I guess there are transfers who could be added at some point, though technically they shouldn't be seen as the class of 22, and I digress. Uh, we're going to talk about signing day. Obviously, an interesting uh, few days, week or so for the Cavaliers as they put together the final pieces to their class and bring in some aforementioned transfers. And um, hearing from Tony Elliott today, certainly getting restocked on the offensive line was a primary focus. And hey, they definitely brought in the options. Now that now the the challenge, of course, is to coach them up. Uh, before we get started, let's go around and introduce everybody. First up in Fishersville, David Spence is on the show. How's it going, my friend? I'm pretty good. Got nothing clever tonight. I'm tired. Two days on the board. Had two days on the Twitter. <laughs> and up in Loudon, staff writer Justin Ferber is also on the program. How's it going, my dude? Not bad. Ready to uh, hashtag take command of this podcast. <laughs> I thought you had Justin underscore Ferber on Twitter. I thought you were going to do a hashtag Commander. hashtag. Um, no, yeah, yeah, that's all the rage <laughs> these days with the kids. He put his whole finger on my glass. All right, anyway. And uh, in Charlottesville, managing editor Damon Dillman, you've made it now through early signing day and your first signing day um and you haven't quit yet so that's a good sign uh anything anything surprise you about how your first recruiting cycle went down uh, i have a sense uh that it's gonna go down as a pretty unique one given all the circumstances surrounding it so uh no i mean not it, it you know it was just kind of a fly by the seat of your pants especially these uh these uh commitments coming pretty much at the least convenient opportunities uh, <laughs> down the stretch here, you know, all right, I'm going to take my son to school. Here's a commitment. Yep. You know? yep there it is. Yep. Yeah. So I, that's probably my biggest takeaway is uh, whatever the least potential moment would be, that's probably when it's coming. So yeah. <laughs> at Damon Dillman on Twitter. Cavs corner also on Twitter. Cavs underscore corner. Great place for the in-game updates, the content items and the occasional woody banter. Um, yeah. I, the, 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 it's the, the one-to-one ratio between what's the perfect time for a commitment to come and what's when the commitment never comes is pretty crazy. Um, it's always, you know, it's never like when you're sitting at your computer, even, even when they're, even when you know an announcement's supposed to come, it's always like, well, I have to leave in three minutes, right? One of those deals. But anyway, so 2022 in the books, as, as, as mentioned, um, Dave, I, I, I want to start with you cause that's what we do. Um, overall thoughts on the class, uh, happy, sad, um, do you feel how do you how are you feeling? Uh, we'll get into the grades and such, and you know guys who stood out the most and whatnot. But just overall, um, as you've seen things sort of develop, how are you feeling coming out of signing day? I mean, no one cares how I feel, Brad. No. Um, well, no, I mean, they, look, they listen think... to a podcast where you talk a lot about how you feel, so you tell me. Yeah, true that. Um, I, mean, I think you have to frame it right. Like it's not. Look, we didn't sign Texas A&M's class today, but we think about where Virginia was two weeks ago recording this podcast even, um, you know, with a ton of dues in the transfer portal, like eight scholarship linemen, whatever it was. Um, considering where they were there then and where they signed this class, I don't know how you can't be happy. Like, I mean, I think it's fine to be greedy and say, oh, boy, I would have liked to add a couple more grad transfers, uh, which I guess, you know, is still on the table, but yeah, overall, I mean, if I had to rate it, I'd say seven out of ten. Um, and if you'd asked me, if you'd have told me what happened, like what a couple Fridays ago before Curry committed, I would have told you I was 
you know, if you'd have told me what happened, I'd be like, oh, I'd be 10 out of 10. But I think there's some, there's a couple guys out there still in some positions they, they need to still kind of firm up. But yeah, given where they started and get, look, I don't think you can overlook the fact that I don't know if there's another school that had a more u- unique transition than Virginia did. Um, just because of the timing of it all. And, you know, it's, it's different if a coach leaves and takes another job, like no other coach just up and quit. Um, so yeah, Tony had a lot to overcome and I thought his staff really hustled and did a good job. I thought, you know, if you look at the big picture, your, your, your point about the, um, the sort of, um, the transition piece. I mean, I don't think you can really understate just how weird this was. Okay. It's one thing for coaches to get fired, right? But normally when coaches get fired, there's a sort of like trajectory of that. And if you have good players, typically those guys are looking forward to the new staff, right? Um, in some cases, you might have some kids who are like sort of disgruntled. And so maybe, you know, they, they aren't necessarily looking forward to it because they didn't want to lose the guy. What Virginia had was like that, but like on steroids, right? Which is like you had yeah. these guys who were sort of in limbo for a little while there. And who knows the advice they were getting from all sorts of sides. So I, I think that it makes sense that, you know, you have to, you can't not consider, you know, what that piece of the puzzle was like, because it was, it was a significant part of the story is like how they actually were able to, or at least attempted to pick up the pieces once, you know, things had sort of gone awry. Um, you know, if you look at some of the, the, the heights and the weights and the, and the such and such, the measurable seemed to be there for a lot of these kids. For as you look at this class, um, how, what's your overall sense? Do you feel like Virginia? I mean, obviously, you know what's a cliche, right? Every coach on signing day loves their class. You know, addressed all the needs. H- how are you feeling about what Virginia signed and brought? And I guess we should say in totality, right, between signing and, and guys coming in the transfer portal. Uh, what's your what's your sense? How do you feel? How are you feeling about it? Yeah, I think you know this first class. Um, I think I said this last week, but. Um, I'm not going to judge their recruiting there. It's really based on this class or I haven't seen anything negative anyway, just because like, you know, they came in so late and and with the early signing period, it's not like the old days where like the coach could come in. I remember when Mike London came in, you know, like he had Al Grow had already put a class in place. And the first thing he did was basically solidify all of those recruits. And then he went out and got his own, you know, six, seven guys, whatever it was and sign them all in February. And Bronco, I think, did the same. Um, but now with the early signing day, like, everybody's kind of locked in. It's not like um, – like, for example, like, if they were short on the offensive line, um, maybe you could go to somebody who's committed to, say – I don't know, what's a good example? Um, ECU or UCF or some school that's, like, not a Power 5 school or maybe even one that is um, – Maybe you could say like, hey, we got playing time. We really like you. You're under the radar. Um, would you consider coming on a visit? And you flip him. But, you know, with the December signing period, it's like those guys are already locked in. So the it's just like less to choose from. Um, I think they did a really good job closing. And, and the thing that kind of stands out to me is what they were able to do in the transfer portal. Um, you know, like I can't remember every single transfer that they went after when they went into the portal, but it felt like they got a lot of the guys that they offered on the offensive line. Um, and, and it closed strong there. Like, and, and those guys, I think pretty much every, all the transfers have two years of eligibility, which is cool. Um, so you can kind of have multi-year starters there and, and more continuity, but yeah, I mean, I think with, um, with this class, you know, they did a pretty good job of holding Broncos class together. Obviously there were a few, um, guys that decided to sign elsewhere and, and that's just part of, you know, cost of doing business. Um, and also like there was just Bronco quit later than, than most coaches, you know, for example, like tax job was open like three, four weeks probably before Bronco quit. So, you know, they had a, a much bigger head start in terms of like trying to solidify the class and go out and get new guys. Um, and those guys knew they were going into a staff that might not be there. They yeah, yeah, that. exactly. Yeah. Like, yeah, Bronco quitting was out of nowhere. So, like, the guys that were committed to Bronco staff were probably shocked, just like we were. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's another wrench in things. So, I, I think they did sort of like a salvage mission with this class and did a pretty good one. Um, you know, it's going to be up to 2J to sort of develop these guys because, obviously, um, I don't want to label all of them, but, you know, they were under the radar for one reason or another, whether it's um, – 
you know, didn't play football for the four years of high school or, you know, maybe got bigger late in their career or maybe got a lot better or, you know, just kind of like unnoticed for whatever reason. So 2J will probably have to put in some work on his end to get them, you know, eventually to become starters. But um, yeah, I mean, I think they did a good job of replenishing the roster and I really like what they did in the transfer portal, adding some guys that I think can come in and play right away. Damon, as you look through this list and you've talked to a bunch of these guys at this point, overall, what's, what's the, what's the story to you? Is it the, just the influx of, ta- of talent or at least options on the offensive line? Is it uh, how, you know, to, to use Ferber's term, you know, the way that they sort of um, salvaged this class and the way they sort of triaged it and put it back together. I mean, to me, Touje just went ham. Um, now again, we're not saying that he went out there and, you know, he pulled a Texas A&M and signed five, you know, five-star offensive linemen, right? But I don't care who you are to bring in that kind of talent in a sort in such a short amount of time and to do it, you know, continuously like that. I mean, that's, that's not normal. Like you just don't kind of see, you know, one position going to run like that. Now, granted UVA had playing time to sell in a way that, <laughs> You never want to have playing time to sell because of how much they lost, especially after the the transfer decisions. But overall, and in fairness, a lot of these guys they got. I mean, it was their best offer. Yeah, and that's and that's that's the way this works, right? You know, you go out, you get the dudes. Uh, you're it's up to you to develop them and coach them up. But but Damon, I'm curious to you, what's the story um, of of the 22 class? Yeah, Ferber actually stole my word when uh, when he said salvage because that was the exact word that I would use to describe it as well. It's just kind of the situation they were in. We all know what happened with the offensive line uh, once the bowl game got canceled and all those guys who were in the portal started, you know, popping up at other schools almost immediately. They were basically waiting to play that game before they all moved on. But um, I think I think it'll be really interesting to see uh, as time goes on how this offensive line develops because – there are some similarities there between this class of offensive linemen and you go back to, um, uh, to 2017 uh, and that offensive line class. And again, that was, that was Broncos first true class. That was two J's first true class guys that they identified and recruited and brought in. And that was like Glazer was in that class. Wavota was in that class. Uh, Ryan Nelson was in that class. I think they brought in five or six altogether. Who uh, Fannin was in that class. Uh, somebody else, Volmer, Der- Derek Volmer was in that class. And then they brought in grad transfers in that class as well to kind of supplement it. Uh, Pirtle and Montellus were on that 2017 team. Um, and, and we kind of saw how those two guys played a lot in 2017 team. They were kind of the stop gaps, the, the short-term answers. And over time we saw how some of those other guys I just named guys who have, you know, they just lost now guys like Glazer and Swoboda and Ryan Nelson. Uh, they developed over time and became like long-term starters, uh, a couple of year starters, all those guys along the offensive line. So I think that's kind of the goal. Um, Tony Elliott talked about that today, about how they were both uh, looking for short-term and long-term stability, trying to balance out the room in the offensive line because you, you don't want to find yourself in a similar situation that you were in this year down the road. So they tried to kind of balance it out. So we'll see uh, to Ferber's point about the offensive line and the grad transfers. It was really interesting to watch it all unfold because UVA would uh, a kid would announce that he got a UVA offer in the transfer portal. So you start tracking that kid and you start looking, he's got like 15, 20, 25, 30 offers. And some of these kids from smaller schools would wind up going to like LSU, like a couple of guys UVA targeted wound up at LSU. Yeah. East Tennessee uh, state guy. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Up there. Yep. And there was another one who wound up at LSU. Uh, and it was just the competition for those offensive linemen in the, in the transfer portal was crazy. L- like I said, they were getting like two dozen, two and a half dozen offers each. So for UVA to come away with two guys with uh starting experience like that, even if it is at a lower level, that's, I mean, that's, the competition was fierce for those guys. It was stiff for those guys. And they were able to get two of them. They're still working on a couple of more. Um, obviously the competition is still pretty steep with those guys as well, but 
I mean, those are big wins to get those guys. When you look at some of the other offers that some of those guys had and talking to Flores, for instance, he would have had more power five offers if, uh, if he was graduating in December and would have been able to enroll at his new school now to a lot of the power five schools were looking for guys who could be there right away to be a part of spring practice. Whereas UVA was okay with them finishing up graduating in May and coming in in the summer. So yeah, I mean, I, I, I think salvage job is the best way you can put it because those are the best guys who they targeted who were available and they went out and got them. There was that flurry in December and early January. Once two J knew he was sticking around where, three or four five six seven kids a day were either announcing a uva offer or re-offer and he i don't know if he was re-energized from sticking around i'm sure he was there was also probably a sense of urgency given what the depth chart and the roster looked like at that point on the offensive line but i think i yeah i think when you talk about this class the 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 first thing is when you start getting into the weeds of it the first thing is number one the guys who stuck around the guys who signed in December, despite the uncertainty and the excitement they have now, when you talk to them about Tony Elliott and the energy that he brings and the energy that this new staff brings, but then the other story has to be the offensive line and just the way they kind of tried their best to restock the cover. And we'll see how that works out as things kind of, as time rolls on here. And I want us to, I mean, not necessarily the way we do when we do preseason podcasts where we, we pick a guy and we stick with that guy forever, but I'm just curious who's the who's the like at least of the guys who 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 were added uh today right so i'm not saying we need to go back and revisit um the players that uva signed on um during the early period but dave who's who's the guy and we can we can duplicate here i don't i don't want people to feel like you just keep got picking anyway but who's the guy who stands out to you the most the guy you're the most excited about among the guys that they added uh today added today Brown, of course. Um, no, let's see. Um, <laughs> I mean, I like uh, I like Jones a lot, but um, I think it's kind of a sneaky a sneaky addition to the class. Um, and I don't know I don't know if his name is pronounced Akira or Akir or whatever. But yeah, there's he, nothing in the there's nothing in the release that yeah. says how to pronounce it. Uh, you, you keep going. I'm going to look him up on yeah, the but, uh, Columbia you know, site. But Paul Akir from <laughs> Columbia. Um, you know, he was the first commitment this morning and someone who's clearly not about fanfare because we knew he had a Virginia offer. But yeah, we're like, well, I guess he committed. Tweet, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Other than a quick little tweet, he hadn't said anything. But, you know, he's got good size, um, kind of the Chico Bennett frame, you know, big outside linebacker, small defensive end. Um, look, I like a lot of the offensive lineman piece, but like given given the numbers there, you're just kind of drawn out of a hat. Um, so, yeah, I'll go with him. All right. Ferber, what about you? Who's the who's the guy who stands out the most to you? Yeah, I, I think some of the freshman offensive linemen, I think eventually some of these guys are going to become mainstays. A guy that I kind of like, just has like a good athletic pro- profile, is Mikhail Boley. Um, I just think that he's the kind of guy that could grow into becoming like a multi-year starter uh, once he has a little bit more time. Um you know, his dad was an NFL player. I actually played with Clint Sintom, which is an interesting connection with the Giants. Um, but yeah, I, I just I just like him. You know, I think he I think he's committed to Colorado. Um, and, and he just seems athletic, you know, he seems like he can move, which is really important for offensive linemen, especially I think since they're gonna be running the ball more. Um, it's not gonna be so much just pass blocking strength, it's gonna be more about agility and moving around. So I'm excited to see what he can do. But I also um echo what Dave said about Akira. I think he's a bendy sort of player that can definitely help them akira 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 um damon what about you Who, who's the guy yeah. who stands out i may be a little biased because like you said i've talked to some of these guys and and, and you know you get to know them a little bit and uh but i don't you're know gonna say houston I, curry you're gonna say what? houston curry <laughs> no i was gonna say uh i was gonna say jones terrell jones just uh, i yeah. just I don't know. I get, I get a sense that, and I think I talked about this a little bit last week too. Like he, he was the kind of guy that you you're kind of looking for down the stretch here after the early signing day in a guy who maybe slipped through the cracks a little bit because of what happened at Illinois and him reopening up his recruitment right around the time of the early signing period. Um, But I just, yeah, I just, you watch him and, and, and you can see the potential there. You can see what, what, what they like in him. Um, and just in talking to him, he seems to have a really good attitude and just, just, he seemed really excited to get here and get to work. Not that those other guys don't, that's, 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 
not taking anything away from any of the other guys I talked to. It's just the vibe I got from, from, from Terrell Jones. I just got a really good vibe from him. And I think he's going to come in here. I don't, I don't necessarily think it'll happen right away. I'd be surprised if it happened right away, but I can see him developing into a guy who is a pretty solid contributor in his time here. And the program that he comes from is like a pretty serious. Yeah. yeah. Like they play a high level of football and like, it's a program that takes itself very seriously. So he'd probably come in with like the right attitude. Yeah, Plus they can turn him loose against Illinois. That's actually, (laughs) that's also true. But that's one of the things he talked about too, is how a lot of, and a lot of the things they talked to him about in terms of how they envisioned him uh, as a pass rush guy is similar to what they, what he's already been running in high school and how he thinks he'll be able to pick it up pretty quickly. So yeah, that's, that's another good point too. So uh, yeah, he's off the top of my head. He's the first one who came to mind as soon as you brought up the question. So um, I think for me, it, I don't know. I'm, I'm very curious about these offensive linemen um, in part because look, let's be real. They're going to need some of these dudes to be able to play, right? Like they're going to need some guys to be able to give them some reps. Um, they're just in, in such a weird spot from a, um, gosh, I almost said succession planning way. And I got to get that Bronco stuff out of my system. Um, but I mean, if you look at, um, you know, Noah is six six three forty five, Snoop is six four three thirty. Now, granted, these are what they're listing them at on, on the, on the official roster. We'll see what they're like. Um, once they, you know, get to, to get on grounds and such. Um, the pictures don't make the heights and weights seem that inaccurate, though. Yeah, I mean, that's true. Snoop might not be a full six four, but like the Demeric is huge. Yeah, he's a very large human. <laughs> yeah. But I think probably um, Hollensteiner is probably the dude that I'm the most excited about. Um, he's got the frame, he's got the size, he's got, you know, he's got pretty decent experience. And I think, you know, generally speaking, for Virginia to be able to add a, a transfer, a quality piece like that at a position of need was was certainly a, a good sign, considering that he was a guy I think from you know for for transfer purposes and whatnot was a pretty decent get for them um but yeah i think that that offensive line group is going to be fascinating to watch because one they are just so dang deep um but then two because the position is such a a a critical piece of the puzzle not just because like oh you need an offensive line but also because like yeah while we talked about before like they they do have some guys that are left there they just don't have a a lot of them and they need you know the fact that they got a mix uh, of these kids who are both, you know, whether it's, you know, guys straight out of high school or guys who have played, you know, various degrees uh, at the next level, like they need, they need all the, the sort of uh, options they can have uh, and they can find. And I think they did a pretty decent job of, of adding to that. And um, yeah, I, I just think that's an interesting group and certainly something to follow. Um, I also yeah, think yeah. like if they add Steen's brother, Tyler. Yeah, from that's what Bill, I was going to Yeah, I was going to Like he's a day, yeah. he's like a day one starter probably at Red Yeah, Jack. I agree. And I think, uh, look, do we, I, are we all in agreement that that's probably happening? I mean, I certainly feel like it's going to happen. Um, I feel like I mean, he passes, has, it's less likely, but yeah. Yeah, he has a lot of interest from other teams, but I, I mean, it, it's hard to ignore the, you know, like they got him to come with his brother and, um, and UVA has a need and, you know, all of that. So, you know, it, it, it's not, it's not a dumb deal, I guess, but you know, if you end up adding him, I mean, you could, you think about like piecing the line together, you could slide um, Hollensteiner into guard and then Flores could be your left guard yeah. or maybe your left tackle. I don't know. Uh, probably left guard. And then, you know, then you're, you could play maybe like a Logan Taylor or somebody at left tackle, or maybe Steen, Steen has played left tackle as well. Um, yeah, and you got Josie, you got Justice John. Like, yeah, there's so talent. But, I think yeah, when you do that, then, the I, then I'm not worried as much. And Leach. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, like, not to stir this thing in a whole different direction, but, like, I don't know, like, look, offensive linemen, it's, it's easily the hardest position to project from a recruiting mm-hmm. standpoint. And I know that's convenient to say when you sign two and three stars, right? <laughs> um, but, I mean, look at the is. dudes who played like, this past year. Like, yeah. you know, like almost everyone who started this year was a two or a three star. The only four stars they've ever they've signed since Bronco got here were Hubbard and Gentry and Gentry's not coming. And Josie, Josie, who we might see this year, um, you know, Hubbard didn't work out too well. But, yeah, a bulk of that line were all two and three stars. Um, and that, that's like that's true no matter where you look like you get a, you know, you get some freak shows uh, like, you know, 
Mackay Becton that are just clearly bigger than sheds and they're going to be good because they can move. Um, but development is a big piece of that. And, you know, honestly, and it's something I wanted to, it's been weighing on me. I was listening to two J and his space last night. I was going to ask him, but I figured it was really good. So uh, they're going to hopefully do another one. Um, it's one of the things I was going to ask him, but decided not to. It's like, if to me, if there's one position that the transfer portal threatens more than any other, it's the offensive line. Um, like that's a position where you, you have to develop. So if like, it's going to be interesting to see like, you know, two or three star guys, you know, they need a year or two of just working and getting, getting bigger and getting used to being bigger. And like, if those, you know, if you combine that with the urgency to see the field, like that position down the road could become one that you start to see less and less NFL caliber players. Um, but yeah, the the last thing on it, like, I mean, it's one thing to add all these pieces because they needed depth. But I mean, I don't think people realize like how bad it was. You know, eight or nine dudes, you can't do spring ball, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I mean, how, how do you, you do it? How do you, you have a risk scout it. team offense? Yeah, exactly. And even yeah. now with these guys, like they're going to get so many reps. Um, someone's going to emerge. It's a numbers game. Um, and yeah, yeah, I think. Yeah, one of these Houston freshmen could end sure. up being like a swing tackle or something this year. Like it would not surprise because it's like somebody's going to be like, oh, that guy was better than we thought he was. Um, yeah. And also like, like look, yeah. no one was clamoring for Glazer and Swoboat. Like, no right. Offense, Chris, I know you listen, but um, <laughs> <laughs> like no one was clamoring for Glazer and Swoboda and these guys. Um, you know, they got developed and Tuje can do that. So I'm excited to see how it happens. Um, if you add Steen, though, I think you're, you've kind of got a, whether it's Steen or another grad transfer, if you've got three transfers plus the guys they brought in, plus what they had, I think then you can put together a pretty good offensive line who will all kind of be at the same peak, you know, same level as far as knowing the offense. Yeah, they're all learning it together. But, yeah, I, th- I think that real quick, that's one good point is, like, I was thinking about this yesterday. Um you know, like it took a little while to get them going, but like 2J has proven that he can develop guys that are like a little under the radar into upper echelon ACC players. Like Olu was a walk on who was at Air Force. Um, yeah. yeah. Like uh, Swoboda, nobody really wanted except for UVA. Um, he was a huge project too. Um, and then Glazer, I think he had Michigan State interest or offer. I can't remember, but like he was sort of like under the radar. Nelson had some interest, but you know, I don't think people were like projecting him to be like, you know, as good as he ended up being. Um, and then they've had yeah. other guys that have come in and done well. So, I mean, like, I, think, Meyer, I mean, right. Dylan, yeah. Rankin's Meyer was, was a two star. Yeah. Um, so I think like he, if nothing else, he's shown that he can develop guys over time from projects into ACC starters. So and I that's think why getting get the transfers little... are so important because like you can supplement your team while those other guys season. Yeah. And I think he does get a bad rap for, you know, he, he can coach off, you know, pass blocking, but he can't coach run blocking. Look, you can't coach something you don't practice a lot. Like, yeah, well, it's the point of practicing run blocking if you don't call running so, plays. And <laughs> Jordan Ellis did run for a thousand yards behind his guy. So I think, and this is going to be, this is not a hot take, but it could be seen as a hot take. Oh, Brad, give us your biggest hot take <laughs> right now. No I'm practice, never going to live no that warning. down. It was a great question, and I'm sorry that you guys just, you know, are un- unable to adapt on the fly. <laughs> Listen, I think 2J un, like, completely unleashed, like, so to speak, from Dr. Bob and company. Like, I'm really excited to see what he he does in this specific situation. Um, now, that's not to say that like I expect every dude who comes through his offensive line room to be, you know, a Remington finalist. Okay, I'm not saying that, but my point is, is that I do think that there there were times where pre- the previous staff was impacted at times by decisions that were made beyond them. And and yeah, I'm being somewhat vague there on purpose. In in Two J's situation, I think there were times when a Nye would sort of take things over. And I think that that was detrimental to the offensive line as a whole. And that's one of those things that as as Tuje seemed to get more control and be able to do things you know, the way he wanted, it certainly felt like Virginia's offensive line benefited and performed better and better. Uh, I don't think that, that it's um, a shock that 
you know, they were able to, you know, once guys had that seniority that they played as well as they did. Now, that being said, we've already seen in the time since Broncos resignation, since Tuje was sort of rehired, how impactful he can be on the trail. And you may, and it makes you wonder, like, what was holding him that position back? Because if you think about some of the, the misses, you know, we were talking earlier about the idea of, like, offensive line is one of those positions where a lot of your, you know, your highly rated guys, there's a, a, a bigger, you know, potential for boom or bust. And then you, you sometimes you can make more hay with, with lower rated or um, maybe more um, less highly recruited guys at that position than others, right? Um, simply because it's the biggest unknown. But that being said, there are some dudes that you might want because you think that they're good. And Virginia has not done a great job over the years beyond 2J of bringing in those types of players, right? They historically have not been able to sign them, get them on grounds, have them be in the mix, right? I'm really interested to see what happens with 2J because he's clearly he's clearly got so much energy and he's such an earnest dude that it's hard to envision a scenario where he doesn't succeed, especially now given a staff that seems to be wired to recruit. And um, I don't think that you can really get a sense of like, what it was like on the previous staff if you were someone who wanted to go out and recruit, who was trying to get guys to feel that energy. Um, yeah, I, I, I would imagine it was tough, especially because you had a head coach who doesn't, you know, it all, you know, he seemed to be good with conversation, but it doesn't necessarily, he didn't necessarily enjoy the recruiting piece, and it seems like Tony Elliott certainly does. Um, before we move over to the schedule real quick, let's talk about, I mean, and I always do this, we got to talk about what they, they didn't get, right? The thing you would have liked to seen, and it's okay if the answer is, is the same across. But Dave, I'm, is there? I don't know if it's a position, if it's a specific player. What's 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 the thing that would have made you like this class more? The numbers, maybe even. But like, what's your, what's your general sort of choice there in terms of like a thing that if Virginia had done this, you would have liked this group even more than you do. I mean, any play. I, if it's just talking one player. Um, I mean, look, I like Akire, I guess that's how you say it. I like him yeah. a lot. Um, you know, Jones, he added. I'm thinking, I mean, I would have liked to get uh, like a proven defensive back or another big time defensive lineman. Um, but, you know, getting Famui back kind of offsets that a little bit because, um, you know, that wasn't a known for sure. And we don't under, we don't know for sure what kind of scheme they're going to run. Um, yeah, the fact that they're recruiting like Akira, if God, I'm gonna butcher his name till I get it right. Um, the fact they're recruiting guys like that to play defensive line tells me we're not running a traditional three-man front. Um, so I'm gonna I'm talking around this, talking around this. I mean, I think it's gonna be Steen for me still. Like, just you know, a guy they could potentially still get. Um, just you know, obviously his brother's here. He like that dude started every game at Vanderbilt. Um, played against some top competition. And I think he just kind of gives, gives Tuesday that flexibility. Justin was talking about being able to move Flores and Hollensteiner around quite a bit. What about you, Ferber? What's the, what's the thing that you would like to have seen them do today that they didn't do, whether it's a player position, what have you? Um, well, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know if there's anything specific today that I'm like missing, I think Cam Butler would be a nice addition. Um, you know, if they could get him, I know he's got some other offers, but um, also uh, not specific to this player, but tight end. Um, I don't know exactly what the plan is there. You know, they have some younger guys, but obviously they've dipped into the transfer portal and been very, very successful the last two years with that. Apparently Jelani Woods is like blowing up this week um, at whatever you know, senior bowl type event he's at. I can't remember which game it is. It's the East West Shrine Bowl. Right? Yeah. 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 Um, but, you know, they, they they had the guy from Lafayette come in. I want to say his name is Stil- Stilianos. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for that. Um, I always mix up, like, there's so many vowels. It's like, where are the vowels? Um, but, yeah, I know he's got other interests. Did he sign somewhere today? I know he was, like, looking at Iowa. Um but and and there could be another guy that comes open to that position down the road. Who knows? Um, but yeah, like I, I think those are those are probably the two things that I would say. And 
Um, you know, they didn't sign any quarterbacks today, but they actually did sign two in the class. So I'm not too worried about quarterback. <laughs> that was an inside joke for anybody that watched Tony Elliott's press conference. Um, all right, Damon, last one. You can take us home on this. What's what's the thing you, you would wish uh, that they did? Was it, you know, more help in the trenches? Was it another quarterback? What what uh, what was your what was your choice here? I I just think, and I mean, again, we we we've talked a whole lot about how, given the way the the calendar works now in the early signing day, and you know, there's not a whole lot left to uh, to recruit after December. But if they could have, whether it's a defensive back or two, another defensive lineman, just a little bit more depth. Uh, I understand why they went all in on offensive line. But if they could have added a few more defensive players just to just to add to the depth on that side of the ball, not just for this year, but moving forward, um, long term depth, so to speak. Uh, I I just I just feel like if they could have identified and and landed one or two, like you didn't really hear them hear about them. I can't think of any defensive backs in the transfer portal that they were that they were linked to. Uh, yeah, I don't really even think there were any offers really. Right. Like, yeah. Not that off the top of my head, I can't think of anybody, uh, in the defensive backfield. Um, so you, you kind of get the sense that, that, that they must, they must be pretty comfortable with, um, with the guys they have in house right now in, in the secondary. So obviously they lost a whole lot. We talk about what they lost on the offensive line. They lose a whole lot of veteran experience, especially at those safety spots as well. They still have some corners. Anthony Johnson's coming back. Bratton's coming back. Uh, Cypress is back after starting a bunch of games before he got hurt last year. So I don't know. But and again, Tony Elliott mentioned today that that there's another cycle that comes in the transfer portal after spring practices. So you don't know who maybe might become available in that situation and whether they might pursue somebody there when they have a better idea of what they have in the secondary as well. So, uh, but yeah, I think, I think maybe another D lineman just for a little bit more depth long-term as well as uh, just a couple, I don't know. There was a bunch of young guys in the secondary though, too, that, that, that we haven't seen a whole lot of. And quite frankly, this coaching staff hasn't seen a whole lot of either. So, so I don't know, we'll see, but that's my long answer to your short question. <laughs> Hey Brad, if I can add one thing on the DBs, because sure. I think it's it's something like I was a little surprised, especially like Toner today basically said we're good there. You know? Yeah. Um, and so I, I did like the roster breakdown today. There are 16 scholarship DBs. Um yeah. I think like, they have the depth. I, it's not uh, the it's not depth, it's experience. <laughs> yeah. It's I mean, just a whole lot of like unknown. You, I think you forget about because they you just they just didn't see the field, you know. Chalmers just played and he's pretty good. Clary, like I think he's got potential. Cypress, Gaffney, Gaines, Harrard, both of the Johnsons. Um, Cohen King, Lex Long, um, Sinker, Simpkins, Bratton, Jones, Moore. Like there's some dudes there who who we've seen flashes from. Um, so it's gonna be interesting. Like honestly, if Chrome Cox can come in and take this group and make them play better than last year, I'm gonna have a lot of questions. Um, all right. One, I hate you right now. Because I oh, sorry, was playing, I know I was setting that thing up to be like the thing that I'm glad I didn't see. That's what I was gonna do. Which, <laughs> um, that sounds guys, like revisionist history now. No, no, that's what I was gonna say because <laughs> I, we had we kind of had this conversation earlier today, and it had me thinking, and that's kind of where um, where my mind's been since. Like, listen, I'm not a football coach. I don't pretend to be. Well, maybe I do. Um, I just talk about it. Okay, I'm just saying that. UVA's defensive back play over the past couple of years has been so bad that yeah. literally anybody else you could have thrown in there could not have been worse. So why not give them a look? Now yeah, you don't I have under- to be Bill Belichick to figure out that the <laughs> defensive backs were bad. As long as you can keep your Brian straight. Um, yeah. So oh. listen, yeah, like that. Um, uh, I, what frustrates me is that we never that you, you you just said a second ago, Dave. You know, saw flashes. What flashes did we even get to see from some of those kids? Like what? What little tiny, like fractions of playing time they got, were so far and a few between that like it just was, it was criminal honestly for them to continue to trot out the same dudes making the same mistakes over and over and over and over again and never give somebody else an opportunity other than you know when guys got injured. The the, the defensive back position is 
I mean, the the confidence that they have in terms of like, hey, look, we've seen these guys, and like we think, like that's essentially what they're saying, right? Is like we're we're gonna do something with this. This is this is my other. This is not a hot take. It's more like a prediction. I think that by, you know, we're getting ready to talk about the schedule, week three, four, somewhere in there. Like people are gonna be like, dude, what in the world did they do to the secondary? Because like I think that what they're gonna have are they're gonna be guys who are gonna be so excited at the chance to have a change of scenery. They're gonna feel like they transferred. Some of these younger guys are gonna feel like they transferred and now they have a new lease on a career. Right. They transferred onto the field. <laughs> they transferred onto the field, you know? And I, I mean, I don't I'm look, I'm not gonna be shy about it. I think that group has a has a significant level of talent. And it's criminal that those dudes didn't get to play. So the thing I'm glad they didn't, I'm glad they're rolling with those guys. The other option for me here was whether or not they added a defensive another defensive tackle, you know, like one more bigger body in the middle. Yeah. Um wouldn't have been a bad thing. And, and they were in it for the guy from it. Duke. Yeah, um, that went right. to UCLA. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, you're right. Alexander, is that his name? Jalen? Uh, Gary Smith. Was Gary it Brown? Um, <laughs> all right, so <laughs> let's, let, let's talk about the schedule. First, incredible uh, release uh, uh, tweets and videos and um, interaction stuff. I mean, I saw, I saw just so many people talking yesterday, uh, or Monday, I guess it is now, about the way that Virginia sort of rolled those out. I mean, the... The reach into the box thing I thought was really cool. Um, certainly made it a lot of fun. Let's talk about what they what they gave us. Um, I mean, favorable is a is probably the easiest way to say it, though it's it feels a lot more significant than that. Um, Dave, in 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 your estimation, what stood out to you most about the schedule? Is it the fact that it looks like the kind of schedule a coach wants when they're starting? Not over fresh, but when they're starting, when they're the new coach, so to speak. I know it stood I, uh, out most to Dave. Yeah, the seven and zero start pretty much stands out pretty, pretty good. <laughs> seven to me. and zero start. Um, yeah, we haven't even gotten to the preseason. The awesomeness <laughs> nah, of disease. That wasn't that right, wasn't what I was referring to. You know, he's he's referring to the fact that there are no uh, weekday uh, games. Oh, I'm getting there. <laughs> Dang it, Brad! Don't steal it. Uh huh. Um, um, turnabout's fair play. <laughs> no, obviously, it was my stern, my uh, very sternly worded email um about week night games in virginia hosting them okay pause and, did you really send an email did you really do this hey, i guess it was a technically an email it, it was the comment thing at the end of the end of the okay. survey, survey. Thing so i even so left, you can't like it's supposed to be anonymous or whatever i put my name and phone number on it i was like call me let's talk <laughs> you know they sent that to me ideas. too and i, I did that sir i did that survey the day that bronco quit oh, um oh wow and they were like how do you feel about the on-field product and i was like defense bad <laughs> wow wow hold yeah. on pause hold on i, 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 yeah. I want to hear more about this is, is there a way do, do you i'm guessing you didn't like write this up and then you just wrote it in the box and sent it you don't know what you said i mean i know Me? what you know i know no, you know I the gist i know you know the so, gist so, but you know you've got your questions you have to strongly agree disagree that kind right. of yeah, yeah yeah and then at the end there's a comment section um also the survey up. itself is very comprehensive there's like oh, a long. million questions yeah um, but I was more than happy to answer them. But yeah, I mean, I just basically talked about, you know, improving the tailgating situation and then said, you know, UVA until UVA is serious enough about football to make tailgating a priority for weeknight games, ask not to host any. If that means you have to play them on the road, fine. I had but this don't vision of Dave. You know that Jim Carrey gif where he's like typing on the computer? <laughs> oh, it was pretty much there. like that. Like, I mean, you know, you know, like, I mean, look, football is football and I love it, but tailgating is a big part of it. When I can't do it for, you know, one six or one seventh of the season because it's yeah. a week night game, y'all don't it is know. beyond, y'all don't especially know. since most of them are ACC games. So it's yeah. like you're losing a good game. I'm telling like, y'all, yeah. if you're y'all, listening to this podcast older, you and you don't know, like, you know, Dave is serious. He's not kidding. He, Tom he, passes, he talks about man. this a lot. Like, he talks about this a lot. Like, if it wasn't this for tailgating, like, I guarantee you, you guys who don't tailgate a lot, didn't come when we were two and nine. I promise you, you did. <laughs> like you know, that's what that's what you do. Um, Tailgating so anyway, is yeah. like half the fun. I mean, I love the games, but like you know, like that's that's what it's about. You know, that's why college football and football and different is kind of different than other sports. Um, so yeah, yeah, like the Friday night games are kind of a pain in the ass. Yeah, I mean, only nice thing about it, like Friday nights on the road or Thursday night on the road is great if you win because then you get mm -hmm. the whole weekend to watch the other teams play. But yeah. 
Um, but as far as the schedule goes, I mean, I think it sets up pretty favorable. I mean, I think it's a little easy to overlook the Illinois game, we, the second game, mm-hmm. as, as being easy just when we saw. But, like, that, that's going to be an improved team. And they're going to be physical. And Virginia's going to be going to a different defense and working in a new offensive line. So that game could be a challenge. Um, look, a lot of the games could be a challenge. But when you take the schedule and put it like it was, other than a – Look, we got to wait to spend a whole lot of time going to games at UVA. Um, you know, I think what two in the first what, four or five weeks, six weeks. Um, yeah. So actually, I should probably have done this this way. Yeah, you probably so, should have. Yeah. So uh, they open up September the third with Richmond, and what is it with UVA always breaking in coaches against Richmond? That um, is like the weirdest. I think it was it Preston is, that found that stat. Yeah, that is so weird. Um, I mean, we found it. I mean, that wasn't that hard. Like, he, yeah. I mean, I'm sure he went into. Did he, did he source it? Does he? Have yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so then they then the week later they go to Illinois on September 10th, come back home September the 17th for Old Dominion. They play Friday night at Syracuse in the Dome on the 23rd. Then they go to Durham, play at Duke on October 1st. They get Louisville on October the 8th at home. Then they have an open weekend before they go to Georgia Tech on a Thursday night on the 20th. Uh, they play th- one, two, three, four home games in a row. I don't know why mm-hmm. they have this at Virginia Tech bolded. They should not have done that. But they close the season on a four-game homestand. They get they get Miami on October 29th. They get North Carolina on November 5th. They get Pittsburgh on November 12th. And their final home game of the season is November the 19th against Coastal Carolina. And, of course, they play uh, the Sunday after Thanksgiving at Virginia Tech. Um, Ferber, favorable seems, I don't know, like underselling it. Um, but I think Dave makes a good point that there are certainly some, some potential – um, yeah, there's some potential speed bumps in here and there. Then again, you said you thought they'd go seven and zero. That's all I remember. All I remember is I said they were gonna go seven. That. That's, that's what he said, guys. He said seven and zero. So you can put it, you can put it, okay. you write it in your in your on your phone right now on in like the notes app. <laughs> uh, Justin Ferber said seven and zero, UVA football 2022. Yeah, put 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 it in there in <laughs> ink. Okay. Anyway, talk to me about the schedule, Ferber. What do you think? Yeah, uh, <laughs> I did not say that. Um. The last coach. You did not not say it though. That's that's. I, okay, you, you alluded I, I, to it. I could go back and look at what I said, but the gist it, of it there, was there is a universe, there is a world where yeah, UVA could I start. Was like, if you if you look at this schedule, there is an opportunity for them to be seven and zero without having to like pull off a miracle, right? Like, you know, what are their first seven games? Richmond, Illinois, ODU, Syracuse, Duke, Louisville, Georgia Tech. Right. Um, Mm. You know, you got at least two coaches in there that are on the hot seat, Dino Babers and Jeff Collins. And then, yeah, I I don't know. Scott Satterfield might be getting kind of close. You have an FCS program. You have ODU. You have Illinois who, yeah, like I think Dave's right. I think they will be a tougher game than obviously than what we saw from them in Charlottesville this year um, or last year. Uh, But yeah, I mean, I don't think it's unwinnable. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think there's, and then Duke new coach, you know, so I think it's a stretch of it's forgivable. It's like a forgiving sort of schedule. I would say like, I mean, this is kind of an obvious caveat, but you know, when these schedules come out, we often don't look at them as they end up, you know, like if we looked at UVA schedule last year, we would have been like, all right, they played North Carolina early. Like that's obviously going to be like a huge coastal division game. Um, and then, you know, you look at, but nobody was talking about Pitt. Right. Like, yeah, they kind of just slid under the radar. Um, and the coastal is weird like that. So, you know, there's probably going to be some games that look really tough now that aren't as tough and some games that look easy now and end up being tougher than they look now. So, um, I think the early schedule gives them an opportunity to kind of get rolling. And then, you know, like obviously the seven and oh, Thing is ridiculous but you know like let's say they're five and two um or something like that you know a good start to the season they, then you get four straight home games and they're not going to be easy home games but they're at home you know where uva has been pretty good the last few years and you know i think you get i think it's miami north carolina Pitt, coastal in that order um you know you hope they can be coastal obviously that's a good program but um you know miami Pitt, unc that could be a stretch that decides um, not saying for UVA, but like in general, like the co wins the coastal between, you know, a bunch of teams that I think will be pretty close again. And, you know, I think it'll be sort of similar to the 2021 race where it's, 
pretty wide open. So, um, yeah, I mean, they have a lot of work to do, you know, on the schematic front and the defense and everything, but you can't really complain about the schedule too much. Yeah, I mean, it does set up well. Damon, what are your thoughts? What Do you feel like 7-0? and I'm, I'm kidding. We're not going to keep making that joke. But in, in general, five I, mean, and two. I, I look at this and I see, like, it's like it's basically sort of tailor-made for a situation like sort of what Virginia is about to face. Um, you know, you, you might like to have, you know, another – um, maybe it maybe that Illinois game at home, but I mean that's really you're getting really weird and, and picky. Then, what's your general thought on the schedule and how it sets up? Yeah, I just uh, and I mean I know we've talked about but, about it, but uh, I just keep coming back to that stretch of four straight home games at the uh, at the end. And when you look at those first three being against uh, coastal division teams, and you just kind of think. Like, I don't know, depending on how things shake out. I mean, you play four straight coastal division teams. One of them, the first one on the road, even, even just the entire schedule after the bye week, essentially just sets up so well for a team that, that if the pieces are starting to really come together by that point under the new coaching staff and cause even the Thursday night game, it's not like they're playing the preceding the previous weekend and have the quick turnaround and they're coming off the bye week before they go on the road and play that Thursday night game. So that, that, that isn't as much of a factor as it often can be when you're playing those short week games. So, so just that whole back half of the schedule, I know we're joking about seven and oh, but it, but if you can manage the front half of the schedule with all those road games and, and uh, if you're in a good spot going into the bye week and into that Georgia tech Thursday night game and you, and like Ferber said, that's a program who knows where they will be by, what would that be? I guess that would be like mid to late October. Who knows? Their schedule is a joke. Uh, they are going to lose a lot of games, and Jeff Collins is going to get fired. His hair will yeah, be completely so, gone by then. So yeah. chances <laughs> are by by week, what would that be? Week eight. By that point, things could be really sideways with that Georgia Tech team. So yeah, if they if they can handle their business, uh, those first six games going into the bye week, and then you go into Georgia Tech, you have that extra time to prepare for that game. And then you have those four straight at home. You could be in a really good spot in the coastal. And I know we're joking about seven and zero, but I don't know this. This schedule looks like um, if UVA can put it together, they should make a pretty good run at, at a coastal division title this year. Just given the way Miami, UNC, Pitt. If you were sitting here right now, which I guess technically we are, who, yeah. who are the teams that are going to be? You know their their primary competition for the coastal. Uh, you'd probably list those three teams plus Tech, and you get three of those four at home um, in a row. So, uh, yeah, I think I think it sets up really well for them as long as, like I said, they they stay healthy, they pick up uh, what the new coaches are putting down, and they handle their business. I would say hey. one quick thing, like. Um... I did learn my lesson from the first Bronco year. I'm not going to sit here and be like, everything's going to be great. We have this new coach and he's going to come in and everything's going to be awesome and seamless. But I think the difference for me this time is that they have a quarterback in place. And um, this coaching staff isn't hitting the same hard reset. Right. Yeah. It's that, not like a completely burned to the ground. Did. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a genuine, when, um, when Elliot talks about building off of what Bronco kind of the foundation, I think that's genuine. Like mm-hmm. when Bronco yeah. came in and we all know that was a hard reset. That was a, that was like dumping. And I don't think he knew <laughs> like he, I think he thought like, I think, you know, like I think they thought like it was going to be easier than it was. And then they were like, Whoa, no, I don't like, think yeah. Bronco knew till like third quarter against rich. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's when reality but i mean like yeah. it was like that ultimately turned into like you take the cover off your pool and it, the water's all green in there right. and you're and you're you know you're adding all that shock to the Let's system go swimming boys <laughs> and also the transfer portal allows you to be a little bit more ahead of the game like bronco probably could have used the transfer portal in 2016 and they might not have been so bad well they had um, jack powers yeah that's true <laughs> yeah was that that <laughs> it's true um, but yeah, like, I think, I think the Brandon Armstrong piece and the receivers that they bring back, like, I, I think even if they have some warts or like the defense isn't quite clicking, like, I think they can still win some shootouts because, you know, assuming he stays healthy, like, I think that'll keep them viable. Um, even if maybe, cause otherwise, like if he left, I'd be probably thinking they're going to go like, you know, four and eight or something. Um, 
Yeah, and that'd be fair for a first year coach probably in this situation. But um, no, I mean, yeah. I think I said it in the text thread to you guys, but um, I had another question I wanted to uh, pose to you guys, so I wasn't didn't sound like a, a homer, but I'll say this first: like if Bronco had replaced Nikal and everything else had stayed the same and we had this schedule like i think 10 and 2 would like be what my prediction yeah i mean i've been and I feel pretty comfortable with it's like the beginning of last year i was like this year they're gonna have a really tough schedule but next year they have to be good because their schedule is easy i think that's where part of the optimism comes from for me at the very least is that y'all like i know i'm guilty of almost forgetting about you know all right so there's going to be new coaching staff new schemes new like some of those variables that would, that we don't quite know how they'll respond or what those exactly are going to mean, because yeah, you just look at this on paper, this schedule, and you're like, wow, this, this could be a good year. This could be a really good year. Yeah. What's funny is like, we, we, we talk about it every year. Like, you know, the thing, ultimately the, the battle of the trenches are what wins games. Um, you know, when the, when the talent levels close and Virginia is ba- basically, you know, Re- reinventing their defense, um, which wasn't very good, and replacing the entire offensive line. So being so bullish is probably foolish, but it's based on <laughs> Brennan and the receivers and and assuming the defense can't be worse than it was, right? <laughs> um, well, all right. This is what I was going to say. I, I, I think that if you look at the schedule, you you absolutely can get to 7-0 without, without really doing a whole lot of heavy lifting, right? Um so you're saying they're going to go seven? No, I'm agreeing with heard. you having said that they would <laughs> okay. go seven. Um, and I and I think what's going to be funny is that when Dave and I literally pick it that way, because um, that's just what we do. Um, but but seriously though, like, when is the last time, when whenever, right? Do you have a coaching change with a guy who could legitimately have a Heisman campaign? That doesn't happen, especially at schools like Virginia. Because I mean, let's be real, they don't have Heisman campaigns that often. Even if you if you if you try to get you, you try to take yourself back down to earth a little bit, you say no, no, like that's a little lofty. Let's just go ACC, like ACC Player of the Year. Who's the preseason ACC Player of the Year? He's in the mix. He's in the mix. Brennan or Van Dyke? You're right. It's yeah. got to be one of those two. So the question is not necessarily like can Virginia. Like the the better question is okay, why wouldn't they? And the reality is is because it new defense. Okay, cool. And they're replacing basically the entire offensive line room is what it feels like, right? They're in play, they're replacing the whole offensive line. And I don't want to make that sound like it's like, you know, you just go to the store and pick up some milk. Like no, you, that's a significant piece and you got to have those guys in place. But with the Virginia with, with the talent Virginia has at receiver and with the talent that they have un, completely untapped in the in the in the backfield and with Brendan at the at the helm, I understand he's learning a new offense. Okay, I get you. But it certainly sounds like from the way Tony and company talk that they're going to, I don't know, they don't have a hard and fast system, per se, as much as they are building one. And i got to be honest, that I kind of love the sound of that. Um, clearly, there are going to be some principles and things that, they've, that they're going to have, you know, they're going to be part of that that are sort of non-negotiable in terms of, like, their backgrounds and such. But I do think you're going to see them really try to fit it to the talent. So even if Brendan's in a quote-unquote new system, a lot of what I think they're going to ask him to do is stuff that he's already sort of done. Yeah, the, and especially you know you only have one year with him, so it's like we might as well just make the most out of this exactly, year. You know? Exactly, exactly. Well, kind of, I, I kind of feel like if you think about it from that standpoint, it's, it's, it makes total sense to be cautious about a new staff, you know, we've, it, playing Richmond, doing it all over again, right? But like if you try to compare where Broncos, where the program was when Bronco got there, right, and – the way Bronco and his people approached the program when they got here, right? These two things could not be any more different, in my opinion, at least, right? Because you, because of the talent that's on hand and because you've got multiple guys who have had a lot of success, right? Um, you know, even though there is a new staff here, you've got other pieces that are, you know, continuous, right? Which is different, um, obviously, than before. Um, you've got a coach who comes from a place where they actually, you know, have to do more than select players. And there's not this, like, these guys are all coming from different places and they have they bring different experiences. When Broncos people got here, like, all their only experience was the experience that they had collectively together, right? And I, and I think at that that's a... At a very unique place. At a very unique place. Damon, I think you yeah. were getting ready to say something a second ago and I cut you off. 
No, you're good. The, the, the point is kind of, my whole point was just basically, I don't think you take over an offense that brings back guys like Brandon Armstrong and Dontavion Wicks and Keaton and Billy Kemp and Yadlavelle Davis to that mix and not throw the ball and, and play to their strengths. But you know, uh, the point has kind of moved on from that point. So, okay. Well, yeah. I, I just, I, I had, feel like, go ahead, Dave. I had one question to pose you guys. It's a quick one. I don't want to answer because it does sound too homery. So <laughs> let, let's, we're, we're talking about the first seven games of the season. How many of those games do you think UVA would be favored in, assuming no injuries between now and then? Ooh. All right, hold on. Let me look. One, two. So Richmond at UVA, they're going to be favored, right? Yeah. I would imagine they're probably still going to be favored at Illinois. Unless they looked absolutely terrible against Richmond, um, and if so, all right, then probably Old Dominion. Uh, all but Louisville, maybe that's at home. The Bowl? I I don't know, man. Like, I, I think that one will be close. Like, yeah. I mean, I don't know now because I don't know. Look, I don't know, maybe Syracuse. All of them. Is a, Syracuse wasn't great last year, and their their best weapon was a running back, and we know kind of how that goes. Um, <laughs> that's what I mean. I think Louisville is probably the, like at Q's just because it'll be the first. I mean, I'm not saying it's impossible they're going to be not favored because a lot will change, but I mean, there you could very well make your argument Virginia will be favored in their first seven games um, if they, you know, if they're better on defense game one. And that's scary. What's funny is the ACC Network, when they did the uh, – not that I watch it, but I saw a clip. Uh, when they talked about who would – Miami's first loss, like two of the three dudes picked at UVA. <laughs> I was like, well, that makes sense. They played Texas a and I know, I know. Like, I, I assume they meant ACC loss. Um, yeah. But, yeah, yeah, I'm pretty I sure. Love ACC, I love ACC, ACC, network, you just, ACC Network, you just throw it the, one, you get, no, Yeah, just you get the best one, coverage. Yeah. I love the absolute disdain in, in Ferber's voice just then when he said they play Texas A and M. Like, yeah, they're not they're not beating Texas A and M on the road. Um, also, also, uh, just so people know what I'm talking about with Georgia Tech, they open with Clemson, and their non conference schedule this year is Western Carolina, UCF, Ole Miss, and Georgia. Yikes! Oh, and I think they're at their uh, like uh, uh, Atlantic game is at Florida State. I, Florida State's going to be pretty good, I think. Does anybody? I don't they know. We, sh- they should. We have a whole summer for this, the corner. Yeah, yeah I, I, I feel like there was definitely a part this past season where you were like, okay, he's starting to get through those kids. Like they, they seem like they're sort of putting it together. But honestly, yeah, got, though, I think I think that. the team, I think the team that is going to, this is going to sound. Maybe some people will agree with me when the voting comes out, but I kind of think the coastal favorite should be Pitt. Yeah, I don't know, man. They changed Keaton, offensive coordinators. Keaton Slovis, a quarterback, is yeah, pretty he's pretty good. good. I mean, yeah. And then uh, you have Addison back. What's like, their defense? Uh, what's their defensive situation like? I'd that's have to the, go back and look trip. at how many guys they lose, but I think they bring a decent amount back. Because if they um, do, I mean, that defense was actually pretty decent last year. You know, I feel like Miami, Miami people are. Be, yeah, Miami's I feel like my. I, I think Miami will be the favorite, like when they vote. But I think Miami is just like, oh, Tyler Van Dyke plus a better coach, and people were, you know, like that's how people are getting there, and it's like. It's not always how it works. It's like they haven't haven't learned any lessons from. Yeah, it's like Miami always wins the coastal. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, Miami's a decent quarterback and a new coach, you know. But Virginia could be picked to finish like next to last. UNC will get a bunch of votes. (laughs) Yeah, I think Tech will get a bunch of votes with no quarterback. Like I I don't understand it. The thing with UVA is, I think, um, and I guess you could say, if this had happened, Bronco would still be the coach, which whatever. Um, But. You know, if they had gone like eight and four and not gone four straight losses to end the season, um, I think UVA would probably be getting a little bit more buzz for next year, like in the coastal, just because they'd be like, okay, you know, like they went eight and four, they went six and two in the ACC or whatever. Armstrong's um, coming back. Armstrong's coming back. Like, you know, like, they, you know, their defense wasn't great, but like they, they won enough games, obviously. Like, you know, they, their losses were all like pretty decent losses, except for, you know, like a couple early that looked bad, but whatever, they were to bowl teams. Um, you know, like I think people could kind of talk, but when they go six and six and switch coaches, it's easy for them to be written off because people yeah. are going to write off UVA by default most of the time. Right. We're, so. uh, we're not going to talk about this because I did, as I said, off air, like I'm, I kind of don't want to have a whole lot of these rehashing Bronco things, but I'm in the sports 
business and you know I've been talking sports my whole life basically there is a fascinating sort of what if of like the zombie UVA where Bronco does decide to fire you know several coaches and and hires a new defensive coordinator and keeps the thing moving just to sort of game that out and like what does that look like um, if he decided he didn't want to quit right if he decided he could actually stomach doing the things that he needed to do um, to write the program um, you could you could get a that's a that's an that's a what if that gets you know really interesting really quick because you can make an argument that the same thing that's going to happen to the defense now could have happened to the defense even if Bronco was the head coach right mm-hmm. that you know he could go out and get a new coordinator and get some new pieces and actually pick make that thing work again um, hell he could take a more hands-on approach but anyway that's a maybe that's a conversation for a different day but it's a fascinating then, one I think but we could also be sitting here a year from now and look at the recruiting class that Elliot brings in and say like we wouldn't have had that class that's a the, really good point you know, no, that's an excellent point and and I and I think that in the final analysis as we look back we get some more distance from the Bronco era one of the things we're going to look back on is that like it, it, it already seems to me that Tony Elliott and his staff have done more in-state heavy lifting simply by having like interest in trying to recruit it. And that's not, I'm not trying to take shots at people. I'm just saying like real, re, like real talk. Like I don't think that they made it a priority. I think that it, a lot of times yeah, I think they, they tried and, and, and just was like, not, it didn't work know. out at first and they moved on and that's fine. Yeah. You know, you, you chose Harder, to put your longer, resources elsewhere, you know, et cetera. <laughs> but, but, but they also would always say like, yeah, we, you know, we, we need to make this a priority, but I don't think they really, did that over the long haul. I think they were more than happy to go where the players, you know, were easier to get. And so that's what they did. Um, so, I mean, you know, it could, we could be a year from now talking about Elliot's first real, you know, real first class and it being considerably different um, because he was the coach and because of the guys he brought in. So, all right. Anything else for the good of the order before we wrap up this week? Good deal. Uh, if you are somebody out there who found the podcast through the website, thank you very much for giving us a listen. If you don't mind, you can look us up on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, or wherever it is that you get your programs. And if you're so inclined to give us a rating review, we appreciate that. Now, if you're somebody who's found the pod but has not given us a look at the website yet, you can check us out at CavsCorner.com. Right now, Damon's got content just to flowing. Uh, he's obviously uh, all over signing day. Uh, the National Rivals desk caught up with Tony Elliott uh, via a video to talk about signing day, so you can check that out. Uh, he's got a good story on on Jay Wolfolk, who is currently a full time baseball player, at least until um, Virginia's spring practices start. Um, so yeah, Tony did his first like real press availability the other day ahead of before the schedule got dropped. Um, lots of recruiting stuff, obviously on there, and the basketball season continues. We will continue to cover that as well. So um, never a dull moment this type of this time of year. Uh, let's see. I want to. First off, I want to say thank you to Andy Ludicky and the folks over at MyPerfectFranchise.net for their support of the show and of the website. For more information, uh, you can check out MyPerfectFranchise.net on how you can find freedom in your next venture and discover the perfect franchise for you. And I want to thank all of you out there for supporting the show. I want to thank Dave Ferber and Damon for giving graciously your time. As always, I very much appreciate them for being here. So for David Spence, Justin Ferber, Damon Dillman, I'm Brad Franklin, publisher of CapsCorner.com. Thanks for coming out. We'll see you soon. That's